This is the Anything Show with John Francois, featuring Andrew Vanderton. Hello, John Francois here. Andrew Vanderton joining me. You know, Andrew, we we used to be both in upstate New York, but with me taking a new job, I'm right back where I was in Vermont. <laughs> so it's kind of like a weird full circle moment. Full circle with maple syrup. Oh, yeah. And I guess the real maple syrup, because we had some commentary on our whole fake versus real syrup thing on the last episode. A lot of people were not too happy with me and my disgusting palate. (laughs) Those people in their bougie syrup taste buds can go and eat a little bit of McDonald's syrup. Exactly! You know what, guys? It's inflation time. The economy's not that great. If you want to pay $50,000 for some damn syrup, you go do that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, the rage. Anywho, we have a great show coming up, Andrew. Um, later on, I'll be speaking with actor Misha Collins, a great guy. I mean, you've seen him in Supernatural. Um, you've seen him. I, I know he was recently in that Bridgewater fictional podcast, which won like best fiction podcast at the iHeartRadio Awards. Currently, he is Harvey Dent in the CW series Gotham Knights. So we'll be talking to him later on. I'm so excited about that. Andrew, you are a peachy, clean, wonderful, bubbly, nice person, as evidenced by our recent weekend together in your home city of Rochester, New York. I don't have any thought of you being the kind of person that is a road rage kind of person, but I bet you have the worst road rage. (laughs) My rage, not just on the road, is terrifying. And it's because I'm so nice that people haven't experienced it. But on the road, you better not get in my way. I will hurt you. Yeah, yeah, you will beat them with your your, your fucking powerful leg. Yeah, you've been lifting weights with your left leg, so you'll just beat them down to a pulp with your leg. I sure will give them a knee to the face. <laughs> but you know what, Andrew? For the sake of, uh, I guess, mental health, the road rage may need to be toned down because a new study says that, it, like, the scent of peppermint if you want to reduce your aggressive driving habits, the scent of peppermint is going to help because they say that if you breathe in peppermint, um, you know, it could have positive calming effects on your brain. It could help with depression, stress, anxiety. Have you felt that way when you've ever smelled peppermint? No, never. Um, whoever <laughs> makes this up obviously does not season their food. Um, and peppermint does not reduce rage. It actually increases mine. Really? Now, for me, peppermint has only, like, cured my sinuses. Why does it make you more rageful to smell something minty up your nose? Well, because now I have this burning sensation inside of my body, and I have to get it out somehow. You know what? That makes sense. The burning sensation makes you want to burn mood-wise. It makes you want to burn a fuse. I want to burn the whole world, and I'm not here for it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You're like the, uh, the the Joker from the Dark Knight for the queer community. I love that. You're like Heath Ledger's Joker right now. I am. Like, some men in this world just want to watch the world burn, and I am one of those men. I... Especially after I had a good walk on the beach. Oh, my God. You quoted directly from one of my favorite Batman movies. I love you. I love you forever, Andrew. You know what? Uh, Yeah. Fuck the peppermint thing. I I am all for the road rage just continuing, continuing, continuing. Because guess what? There's a lot of the world that's crappy, and we have every right to be raged about it, especially on the road. Yes, on the road, of course. And one of my favorite TV shows is about road rage. I love road rage. What's that TV show? It's called Road Wars. Oh, so it's just about the history of people who love to have road rages? What's the show about? 
it's literally about people raging against each other on the road, and they all have cameras in their cars, and it's like those candid videos where you're like, no way, this really happened, and you catch it on camera, and you're like, get out. Okay, so it's kind of like cops, but except for road rage people. Yeah, it's like cops, except the discrimination of black people isn't there. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Point well made, Andrew Vanderdunt. Uh, you know, speaking speaking of a kind of, uh, you know, being on the road of, of sorts, I mean, some people, they like to take a road trip to uh, go off the grid, to get disconnected from social media, returning phone calls to coworkers, things like that. Not surprisingly, in a recent survey, Andrew, 57% of Americans said, yes, if I had the option to uh, just decompress and go away from social media, phone calls, all that technology stuff, I would. And Andrew, I have a feeling that you are that person too. I am. And not even just for a vacation. I want it 24-7. I hate cell phones. I hate ringtones. I hate social media. Get me off the grid. (laughs) Says the person who has an Instagram and TikTok. How can we follow you there? Right. At AJ underscore Vanderton. <laughs> <laughs> so, if, OK, so say if you had like a massive following over Instagram and TikTok to the point where it could be easily monetized. Would you still want to just back away from social media or would you be like, oh, actually, maybe social media is my dish? I would back away. I, if I ever get like famous on social media, I want that Beyonce present where I only follow like one person or nobody. And everybody looks at my post. Yeah. And you only post like once every six or seven months. And when you do, everybody's just like, oh, my God, the queen has posted. Yes, that's what I want. uh, My post will be so exclusive that it's like when I post, it makes CNN news. Absolutely. Forget about, uh, I don't know, uh, the, the, the Trump indictment. Breaking news. AJ Vandertung just posted for the first time since Christmas. Get your eyeballs on there. There you go. And it'll be like a cute little cat emoji or something. (laughs) I love that. I love that so much. Yeah, you know, I I would always say over and over again, Andrew, that living off the grid is probably great for my mental health because uh, so much of what I do for a living, radio, podcasting, it's all about being connected to social media, being connected to what's trending in the news, Um, always keeping in touch with text messages or phone calls that may come in. And... It's that battle between what I'm passionate about doing and what's actually good for my mental health. And I just I don't know how to fight that battle. I mean, I guess the I guess the easy answer is I cannot fight that battle. Like at the end of the day, probably my mental health would win over. Yeah, I can see that, John. You take care of yourself in a very healthy manner. I can see being able to draw the line like no social media during basketball time i don't know okay i mean neither of us follow basketball i don't think so that's a really weird thing okay so you're saying between the months of what october through june no social media for me at all is that when they play basketball that's when they play so uh, for the nba season if i'm not mistaken it starts in october and ends with the nba finals usually in june that's what i know I, i don't know about college basketball but I know in professional basketball, usually October through June, yes. Ah, I heard that there was, like, March Madness and everybody was, like, mad about sports. But I was like, oh, that must be when, like, the basketball stuff happens. That's when the road rage actually happens, Andrew. During the entire month of March, all the college basketball, all the college basketball players are just like, Rah! the NCAA isn't paying me for my endorsements. Rah! Like, that's what it is. 
Okay, now I'm going to watch that. Well, I understand. <laughs> Uh, yes, a bunch of black people raging on a court. What's 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 so what, what's what's so uh, unique about that? I mean, that's that's probably every day. I, I think. <laughs> that's what I was saying. I feel like it's every day. I mean, I got into sports after Tiger Woods by beating with the golf club, and I was like, oh yeah, this is golf. There you go. There you go. Oh boy, it isn't golf unless someone is hurt with that golf stick thingy, whatever you call it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Hey, Andrew, uh, think about it. Um, a very bad first impression of someone that you had. I was I, I, so I was looking at this new survey. It found that the average person makes a first impression in just 27 seconds after meeting someone else. Now, immediately, I thought back to this first date way before I met my now fiance, Tony. And, you know, we met for I think it was like some kind of like brunch, lunch, coffee date thingy McJiggy in uh, Montpelier right here in Vermont. And within seconds, I knew, okay, this girl just seems like she lives with her parents in her basement. She's all stuck in her anime and nothing against anime and living with your parents if you absolutely need to or if that's what you desire. I guess that at the time, uh, those two things together just screamed, oh, you're not really grown up and ready to go on dates. So when I got that vibe, I was like, all right, I am just here for niceties and we'll just make some polite small talk for about an hour. And then once I leave, I'm never talking or seeing her ever again. So that was my bad first impression that I thought of. I don't know if you thought of a, a bad first impression that you had of, of someone, anybody. I mean, you don't obviously, obviously you don't have to say specific names, but uh, do you remember meeting somebody, Andrew, where it was just like, whoa, okay, within seconds, you just knew that this person was a biatch. I sure do. I mean, I've had a lot of those happen. Um, you know, not to be specific, but this guy named Dante. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Is his name actually Dante, or is this the fake name that you're giving on the air right now? His name is totally Dante, and Dante, if you hear this, I am just going to say, Dante, you are a terrible first impression. Um, We went on a date to this local bar that I love. I love, love, love it. Within the first 15 seconds, I knew that he was not for me. I'm sitting at the bar when he walked in. I had a Red Bull and vodka, and I was sitting there waiting, and he comes in, he's like, so what are you buying me to drink? And I was like, oh, this ain't happening. Oh, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. Do, do, you, do you think maybe he was joking? Like, is that his sense of humor? Or was he really, like, being serious about that? Oh, he was 100% serious. He was 100% serious. And he assumed that I was just going to pay for everything. And I was like, this is our first meeting. We're going, how do the girls say it, Dutch on this one? <laughs> so you need to uh, pull out some money and start paying for things. And he didn't get it. And Dante, again, not to pitch you out there, but Dante, <laughs> you are a terrible first date. Dante, not to put you out there, not to put, not to, not to call you out publicly, Dante, but Dante, you a hoe, Dante. Like you just saying his name so many times, I love it. <laughs> oh, Dante, uh, and, and what a great name! Because like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm sounding offensive or stereotypical to pe- all people named Dante, but like, I just hear the name Dante and I think, wow, this is like a sassy person with like the worst attitude ever. Am I accurate on that with this Dante? You are 100% accurate. He was sassy and zesty, and I like my men sassy and zesty, but he was broke and zesty, and that was 
issue. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, it's interesting to hear that from the gay community's perspective because in the heterosexual community in terms of dating, like we talk about, oh, those people that are just on dates for free drinks, free food, that kind of thing. Um, so it's interesting that I hear it also happens in the in the queer community as well. It does. And I'm not going to judge or any of the girls, any of the guys. Any, I, when I say girls, I'm referring to everybody. Yeah. I'm not going to judge any for going on a date because you're hungry. Because I have done it where I've gone on a date and I'm broke and hungry. I just want to eat. I know this date is not going anywhere. Right, right. Well, Dante, you have had uh, more fame than you have ever deserved on this podcast. So uh, I hope you are happy with yourself. Mm-mm-mm, mm-mm-mm. <laughs> Dante, more like no, note, note. That's that's his new name, Andrew. Note, note. Get out of here, note. <sighs> anyway, I feel, I feel like we're breaking some privacy rules with with talking about Dante here, and I love it. I love it so much because you know you, you probably don't even talk to him. You have no uh, contact information for you know from him or anything like that, right? Nope, none at all, and I'm perfectly fine with it because you know he's going to do what he's going to do. And it was a great first meeting because I never had to talk to him again after that. There you go. Hey, speaking of dates and eating food on dates and stuff like that, like, here's the thing. 38% of people in this recent study I was reading, Andrew, they say it is okay to start eating before everyone's food has arrived. So, uh, I mean, I I would think that's a particularly uh, sensitive thing in a date situation. So let me put you in the shoes of both a date situation and a friend group situation. Now, in a date situation, Andrew, say your food comes out first, uh, would you wait for the other person's food to come out? Or would you just say, hey, bitch, I'm hungry. I'm going to eat right now if you don't mind. Like, what would you do in that situation? So, wait, we're talking date? Let's talk date first, date situation. Okay, date situation, I'm eating my food when it comes out because I know my food's not going to taste better when yours arrives. <laughs> okay. So, so I mean, are, are, not, not, are you even going to ask the other person, like, if it's okay, like, if they dive into their food, if you dive into your food first, or are you just going to go straight for it, no questions asked, you're not even going to say anything? No, unless they have established that they are a dominant daddy and they're looking for somebody to be submissive, I'm picking up my fork and I'm digging in. Wow. Okay. Huh. So in a way, you eating your food first before the other person's food has arrived, that's sort of like a uh, a role play test of sorts. You're trying to figure out like, oh, okay, is this a submissive? Is this a dominant person? Like, is that sort of what's going on here, Andrew? I guess maybe like a little bit, probably about like 4% of it is that the other percentage is, I came here because I'm hungry, and you want me to sit and wait for my food to cool down for yours to arrive and then look at you while you eat. I'm going to eat. Right. And it's not your fault that the food arrived first for you. I mean, sometimes the restaurant just has that kind of weird order process going. So in a way, it's like, yeah, I mean, especially if you're paying for it, I get your point. Yeah. Like, if it was something like, let's say we had a shared course where it's like you can't really get the full experience until the other person comes out then I understand not eating right away. But if I'm at a restaurant and food is in front of me, I didn't pay for self-control. I paid to eat. So let me eat. 
There you go. There you go. Um, so I would imagine that if you're going to do that in a date situation, then you definitely don't care in a friend group situation. Like if it's a group of friends and literally your food is the only one that's at the table, say there's like five, six, seven people and they're staring at you starving, like you're not going to care. You're just going to be like, hey, all right, I'm going to eat my food. <laughs> you been out to eat with me. You saw I did not wait at all. Oh, wow. I immediately jumped into that food as soon as it came out. All right. Well, I like this response, Andrew, because honestly, uh, I did not know that of the two of us, I would be the more nicer one, to be honest with you. Um, I, look, here's the thing. Here's the thing. <clears throat> so I get being hungry. Absolutely. If my food came out first, whether it's a date situation, a friend group situation, um, I would I would be the guy that's like, hey, uh, if you guys don't mind, you know, I'm going to just start nibbling on this because I'm starving. I, I I think I would make sure I would eat just carefully, like pacefully, take my time because I'm sure it's going to be awkward, you know, being the person whose food arrived first and then you finish. And then by the time you finish, everybody's food just arrived. So, yeah, I think I would be that guy that <clears throat> would just actually bring it up and just let people know, like, hey, I just want to do this, if that's okay with you. But, 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 but. I admire your confidence. I feel like I should have your confidence and say, bitch, you know what? I'm hungry. It's been a long day. It's been a long week, and I want my food right now. I mean, that that is a confidence that I don't think a lot of people have, and I admire that from you, Andrew. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Look, all you have to do is start with picking up a utensil. Pick up a little utensil and go. And if it happens that you finish your food before everybody else, which for me, never finish food in a restaurant. You can never get me to clear a plate unless it's really good. I'm just going to look and be like, okay, y'all, go ahead and eat your food because I'm going to keep drinking my drink. Yeah, man. The sass on you, Andrew, is strong tonight, and I love it. You seem like the person (laughs) that might have an argument naked. I know that sounds strange, but stay with me on this. I was looking at some crucial relationship advice. And apparently the psychology says, or not psychology, the psychologist says that if you are arguing with your significant other, it's best to argue but naked. Because, you know, in general, normal argument situations, we tend to act out of instinct, which is, you know, leading us to yell and say things that we later regret. The psychologist says that when we strip down butt naked during an argument, it pulls the brain out of that instinct so you'll actually start listening and being more rational. Can you imagine yourself having a rational argument while being butt naked with somebody, Andrew? I can't imagine an argument. No, I, I like to fight naked. I'm not mad at that. But <laughs> an argument, I don't know. You know, I feel I feel like this is, goes on par with people who are turned on by hate sex, uh, angry sex. Uh, argument makeup sex like i feel like this is on par like i there's just something about being naked where you can't really take anything that's normally serious seriously and i guess maybe that's what helps the argument you know what i mean like you're looking at the genitals of the person that you're with and you're thinking wow you know this argument about jello eh Probably not that significant, especially since I'm looking at Jello on their body. Oh my God, have you looked at those saggy tits? Like that kind of thing. I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, or uh, you probably want to just get it on. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. I mean, are you the type of person, Andrew, where you could be like butt naked, pissed at somebody about something, and then all of a sudden, like you look at what they're packing, and you're just like, oh, you know what? I forgot what I'm mad about. Let's get, let's have sex. 
You know what? Yes, that is me. Like, if I were to argue with somebody naked, I would be like, let me say some completely irrational, below-the-belt crap to this person, and if it gets hard, we're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the rule. If it gets hard... While I, while I say some really emotionally terrible put down crap about their persona, then there you go. Let's go. Let's go ride this horse. <laughs> I love that. I I love that so much. Um, yeah, I think it just comes down to I I could not have an argument with my fiance Tony naked. I could not. I we, I couldn't. I I. We we definitely would not be able to take each other seriously. I think we would be able to see the humor out of the situation, probably make up in some sexual way, I'm guessing. Um and and also, you know, let let's keep in mind, Andrew. I mean, if it's a you know, a situation where there's uh, knives or machetes involved and penises are around, I mean, you know, uh, you definitely don't want to make the naked person who's holding that machete or knife mad at you if you got the penis, you know what I'm saying? Ooh, that sounds like a fun Tuesday night. Naked machete. Wait, 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 wait. To have your penis cut off by a machete? That sounds like a fun night. What, Andrew? That, that does. Like, could you imagine, like, you have mind-blowing sex with somebody, and then you have to go to the hospital, like, yeah, I accidentally cut off his penis. and you just put it back? <laughs> yeah, it's not a wild, sexy night unless your fucking penis is cut off. Oh, Lord. Look. Ask Lorraine about it. She knew what she was doing. There, there you go. Wow, that is a reference that has not been brought up in quite a while, Andrew. I like that. I like that. Uh, frustrations during springtime. Oh, my God. So everybody likes to say, like, oh, springtime, flowers, and uh, longer days, stuff like that. But I feel like there's more to be frustrated about in springtime than there is to love. Because let's go back to the, you know, the flowers, whatever. Outdoors. Like, the weather is probably the most unpredictable during springtime. Am I right on that, Andrew? Oh, my God, yes. Those beautiful, irritating things. Yeah. Like, it's March, April, May, and it should be, like, 50, 60 on average. But sometimes, you know, especially if you're in the East Coast, like me and Andrew, I'm in Vermont. Andrew's in New York State. Ooh, snowstorm, nor'easter on April 27th. What the hell's going on? So, like, that's annoying. Uh, mosquitoes can come out during spring dealing with taxes. Oh God, Andrew, ever since I moved back here to Vermont from New York state, I'm automatically regretting the fact that I spent time working and living in New York state because I have to fill out tax information for both Vermont and New York state. And guess which state is giving me the more, the, the more bigger headache in New York. Yeah. They're asking me strange questions like, oh, have you been a part of a Nazi group and paid taxes with them? Like literally there was something about Nazis on the tax information that me and Tony are filling out together, Tony has to help me out with my taxes for New York, and it got so, so bad to the point where we had to take a break. I mean, usually with taxes, if it's like a one-state situation, you could get it done on TurboTax in like 30, 40 minutes. I think it was like over an hour in, and we're just like, okay, wow, there's still like a million more tax questions from New York State about Nazis. Like, what the—I'm not a Nazi. Am I a Nazi? Right. John. I filed my taxes for the first time in five years, and that was the most triggering thing in the world. And I was like, this is why I don't do this. Wait, when you say file your taxes for the first time, you mean file your taxes by yourself or file your taxes in general? No, file my taxes for the first time in five years. Now, I filed my taxes like years ago, and I was like, okay, I can see why the girls do this. (laughs) Then I did it 
here, and I was like, oh, no, I don't like this at all. Wait, is this legal to, like, admit this? Like, have you really actually gone five years without, like, filing your taxes at tax time? I truly have. I just, you know, you get swept up in things, and you're like, oh, I forgot it was tax season. And then next thing you know, it's 2023, and you're like, okay, girls, first time we did our taxes in five years. Let's figure this out. Honestly, it's not illegal. If anybody is wondering about it, go to the IRS website. You have five years to file your tax return from the time you get your W-2, and all you have to do is go in and file, and you may have to do an audit of your taxes. An audit is not scary. It's not bad. It's quite easy. So there's no penalty you have to pay? You don't pay, face any jail time for not filing your taxes every year? Well, now, if I made millions of dollars, I probably would get jail time, but I am below the poverty line, <laughs> so I really don't take care. Wow. Oh, boy. Well, food for thought. I mean, I'm, look, I, I, I pay my taxes and everything, and I will still plan to file my taxes with the IRS every March, April, whatever it is. But, man, I did not think that you could go five years without doing it and just be fine. Huh, interesting. Everybody who's listening, I don't want you to come back and say, well, AJ said, no, girl, this is me. And this was during the pandemic as well. So things kind of fell off. But if you do file your taxes, you know, do your thing. If you don't file your taxes, don't tell me because we know IRS stands for it's real serious and they will find you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, let's not play with the IRS. I, I'm, I'm, almost, <laughs> I'm almost hesitant to uh, post a social media clip of this part of the podcast because I'm like, oh, God, what if they come with me or come at me with handcuffs and come at you with handcuffs based on this? So let's uh, – let's- We'll be fine, but if you guys do send somebody with handcuffs, make sure that they don't have on a brave dance sunglasses. Give them, like, something cute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> maybe a, maybe maybe some kind of uh, Amelia Bedelia sort of uh, maid dress, something like that. Oh, I'd be down for that. Like, if some guy's going to be like, I'm going to arrest you with this floral print gown, I would be in heaven. <laughs> I feel like this is the most sexual our podcast has been in quite a while. What, what did you think? You know what? It's funny. Taxes make us sexy. <laughs> yeah. Like taxes, like there there cannot be a more unsexy thing ever, but yet it gets the flames going on the podcast right now. So there you go. We love it. And finally, Andrew, before we get into Misha Collins, uh, I've been kept up at night lately. I mean, not only by the, the start of this new job here in Vermont, but also just like by various Thoughts, frustrating thoughts of, of stuff having to do with wedding and family matters and whatnot. And I was looking at a survey asking people usually what keeps them up at night. Top five answers. It's being too hot. General stress. A stuffy nose. Being too cold. Worrying about work. Uh, yeah, my, my bad thing, Andrew, is when I have those anxious, frustrating thoughts and I have a stuffy nose and I'm stressed and I'm maybe a little bit too hot. And I worry about where it's like, I think I've had a combination of all these things that I just mentioned. What usually keeps you up at night, Andrew? So lately in the past week, what has kept me up is Rihanna. Her song lifts me up. I cannot get out of my head. I have to listen to it every night. And Rihanna, I don't appreciate you for doing it, but I love you. Um, The other thing that keeps me up, no joke, is if I forget to take out my earrings or I don't know where I put my earrings out when I took them out. I can't go to sleep unless I know specifically where they are. Yeah. And also, may I say, you don't have, like, the regular piercings. Your your, your big, big earrings cover, like, your entire earlobes. 
And I'm pretty sure, you know, people can see that on your socials, uh, you know, at, at AJ Vanderton on Instagram, at AJ underscore Vanderton on TikTok. Um, I, I don't know how you do it. I mean, that must have hurt when you had those big, big earlobe sized piercings. No, you know, it didn't hurt. So they were nowhere near this big. Once I first got my ears pierced, they just used a little scalpel and cut my earlobe and then put the earring in. And then I stretched them to the side. So it wasn't too bad. <laughs> mm, I'm still not getting anything pierced, Andrew. Still not getting anything pierced. The only thing that's going to be pierced is my heart if I'm heartbroken by something. That's the only thing that'll be pierced. Oh, then you can be angsty and dark and twisty in a castle and become a vampire. <laughs> I, I guess. Robert Pattinson, look out. It's going to be Jonathan, <laughs> Jonathan Francois Pattinson. <laughs> I love that. Wait, is it, is it, uh, is it, uh, what, what was that? You can be Jonathan Nosferatu. Ah, yes, I can. Yes, I can. Well, uh, all the strange things that we've talked about on this show, if you have any commentary, anything to add, feel free to reach out to us. Facebook.com slash The Anything Show at Anything Show Francois on TikTok and Instagram. Andrew, tell everybody your socials again. So I'm on the Instagram at AJ Vandertime. Now AJ is spelled A-J-A-Y. And then on TikTok, I'm AJ underscore Vanderton. <laughs> and you'll find yeah, I will always post videos about bottom painting a top. So you'll know. It. <laughs> yes. That's mis- that's Mr. Underscore Vanderton to you. If you're nasty. Hey, yes. What's your pinky up? <laughs> what's your pinky up? Oh God. What, what have we turned to Andrew? We're, we're just, we're just interesting interesting specimens of human aren't we we are we are interesting specimens of human and i think we are awesome so ukraine get into us <laughs> oh, okay okay all right yeah why why is ukraine supposed to get into us i'm so confused you know i don't know the full situation of what's happening in ukraine but i do know they need some joy so if you want some joy listen to us get a little bit of joy I can't help with all the other things with the United Nations thing, but at least get a little laugh. I guess. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, a nice um, endorsement for Ukraine right here on the Anything Show with John Francois. Made here in America. Got to love it. <laughs> <laughs> all righty. Uh, shall I do the, the, the usual creepy thing that leads us into our guest for the episode? If you're going to say moose knuckles, I am down. Oh, you want me to? I, I, I can take requests. <laughs> I don't no, 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 seriously, I improvise my creepy uh, outros. So if you give me <laughs> suggestions, I'm like, sure, why not? I mean, do you, do you like to give suggestions or do you like to be surprised by my creepy outros? I like to be surprised, you know, surprised in a fun way, like a stripper who comes out and you really find out that they are not a stripper. They're two clowns under a coat. <laughs> two clowns under a goat <laughs> where has your mind gone tonight mr vanderton i love this john this is sober me without smoking any marijuana today <laughs> wow oh boy all right well without further ado let's let's see what i can do okay okay here we go some asmr stuff rubber bands scotch tape Tissue, Amazon Alexa, Moose Baby Nuggets. 
Uh, yeah. So, you know, in addition to your great work as an actor, I really loved looking into your passion for social issues. And I wonder if you could tell me where that passion began and, you know, just some of the issues that that you are um, really, really active about. Um, I I mean, I don't know exactly where it began. Uh, I think I had politically active. I had, I had politically active parents um, who probably instilled in me the notion that I had to be politically active myself. I thought that I was going to go into politics before um, I was an actor. And so I went to college. I was planning to go to law school. I interned at the White House. I worked at National Public Radio. I was on this sort of this this trajectory toward, um, a, I think, a conventional a political career of some sort. And then when I was interning at the White House, <laughs> I was in the in the Clinton administration, I became disillusioned. And I was like, well, this is not what I want to be a part of. And so I thought, all right, how can I this is I'm revealing to you the the great hubris in my personality. Um, I thought maybe, uh, maybe there's a more effective way for me to go about this. Maybe I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go to Hollywood, get famous, and then use that to uh, leverage that for political ends. And then I went to Hollywood, and it turns out it took takes a very long time to make a name for yourself in the business. And uh, by the time I finally um, developed any kind of following and had any kind of success in my career, I had sort of forgotten about that uh, that earlier political ambition. Um, but then, um, as I got older and had kids and, um, started to see, uh, the, the civil society around us unraveling as it, as it seems to have in the last, uh, decade or so, um, I, I became more and more politically engaged and started using the platform that I had developed for, um, political ends. And that's where I find myself now. So it was an interesting kind of like evolution. I went into acting with that ambition. Uh, then I strayed from it and then it just sort of organically came back again. Um, but I am, I happen to have a lot of followers who are young people. Um, I have, you know, a fairly big footprint on social media and I'm trying to whatever extent possible to use that footprint to that megaphone, as it were, to, um, encourage young people to be politically engaged because young people, um, tend to not be terribly politically engaged and if they were more engaged could have a really profound impact on the on the political landscape as a whole so um i guess that's the that's been the focus of my my political work of late and uh do do you mind sharing uh how you became disillusioned earlier in your uh, political career as you were kind of going on that path sure um you know, I when I when I got to the White House, I thought that I was going to be under the same roof as like the best and brightest minds in America. That somehow they had they would have curated this incredible think tank uh, there. And in fact, it was I. You know, from the from the vantage point of an adult, this makes a lot of sense. But as a young um, idealistic twenty one year old, um, I was disillusioned. But now I, I see that makes sense. But uh, but at the time, I noticed that everybody who was there was somebody who had either volunteered their time on the campaign or their parents had donated a lot of money to the campaign. And the people who were there were all just yay-sayers and kind of sycophants. Um, they were just there to like just be near the president. Uh, it was like they were starstruck and it, they didn't seem that interesting to me. <laughs> I mean, uh, and I uh, 
and I was like, I don't want to be a part of this, this big sort of boring machine where everyone is just doing what they're told and excited to be in the presence of power. Um, that was it really. Um, I, I just didn't, it, it, it wasn't like this, um, this laboratory where everybody was working on ideas of how to make the world a better place, which is what I naively thought I was going to be walking into. Wow. And um, I mean, in addition to your uh, political activism and of course your, your acting work, I know that you are very talented in poetry. Can you, can you share the, the genesis of that? And, and maybe, you know, a favorite poem, if you, if you, if you, if you'd like to share that. Um, I, uh, I, I guess I've just been writing poetry as a form of uh, self-therapy um, for a couple of decades, really. I've been writing for a long time, and I wrote a book of poetry um, and published it a couple of years ago. And I made the New York Times bestseller list, which was a major achievement for me. Um, but I um, I think it was more, I, I think I probably wouldn't have had a book of poetry if I thought I was writing a book of poetry. I thought I was just writing poems for myself that no one would ever read. And that uh, freed me up to uh, bear, <laughs> bear my soul, as it were, in a way that I don't think I would have done if I thought I was writing a book. Um, but I don't even, ha I don't even have a copy handy right now. So I couldn't, and I don't, I haven't memorized them. So I couldn't read you one if I wanted to. That's okay. Uh, I really enjoy you on uh, Gotham Nights, Tuesday nights on the CW. And as a Batman fan, uh, what I want to ask you is, given like all the TV and film interpretations of the Batman universe, uh, going into the character of Harvey Dent, how how do you make it? How how did you make it true to you? How did you make it original to you going into it? I just wanted to know your thought process about that. Well. Um... I think this is actually a very grounded, very real. I, this is, as far as I know, in, uh, in, in terms of film and television iterations, this is the most real, most grounded version of Harvey Dent slash Two-Face that there has ever been. And I know that that sounds like I'm full of myself, but I think it's true. And I'll explain why. In the past, um, when, when uh, Two-Face has shown up in Batman movies, and that's happened a couple of times, um, uh, Aaron Eckhart and Tommy Lee Jones both both played uh, Two Face slash Harvey Dent, and um, and those versions were kind of like this terrible incident happens and he snaps and becomes a supervillain. We get to you know we get to see the the um, Harvey Dent as the district attorney, and then we see him uh, terribly injured and maimed in a terrible accident, uh, terrible attack, and then he becomes Two Face. Um, what we do in because we have the luxury of television and a, a, a season arc we get to see harvey dent um being an upstanding district attorney trying to do his best to fight for justice in the city of gotham and then we see him um start to have little cracks in his psyche and then we discover that he has a history of mental illness that his father suffered from identity dysmorphia which is split personality dis disorder and was incredibly abusive and then we discover that Harvey is having lapses in memory where his alter ego, his split personality is emerging. And he's trying to keep this other version of himself bottled up while he's still trying to pursue justice in Gotham and fight this evil cabal that is trying to pull the strings of power in the city. And 
it uh, it's very complex and it's nuanced. And then ultimately, Harvey, you know, does have this disfiguring incident and has sort of, I mean, very much like we want, we, we didn't want to stray from the classic and very important elements that make that character, that character in the comic book lore. So the version of Two-Face that emerges as the, you know, terribly scarred face and, uh, and, and yet, uh, when he finally snaps and decides to let the alter ego take over, um, the, the, the bad villainous version of himself, the two-faced version of himself take over, um, we as an audience understand it completely because we've seen how he got there and it's, it feels kind of tragic. Um, so it is, I think, a very different version of Harvey, a, a, a much more, um, nuanced and interesting version than we've seen before and i have to say as an actor playing it it was absolutely so, it was so gratifying and so hard it was really cool i really loved it uh, absolutely it's a great show uh gotham nights tuesday nights on the cw misha collins thank you so much uh my fiance me- by the way big uh yeah my fiance by the way a big uh, fan of supernatural i i recently listened to you on the bridgewater podcast and of course oh, no watching- way yeah i know oh, that's yeah. awesome if anybody wants to catch up and has missed the first couple of episodes, you can catch up by going on, on the CW app or the CW website. There's the first three episodes there. And then new episodes are on every Tuesday on the CW itself. I love it. All right, Misha, take care. Nice to talk to you. Great talking to you. Bye. The Anything Show with John Francois is on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Join us on YouTube, Facebook.com slash The Anything Show, and Instagram and TikTok at Anything Show Francois.